Ecclesiastes chapter 7, starting reading at verse 1. This is God's word. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason and a bribe debases the heart. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a defence as money is a defence. But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Consider the work of God. For who, ha- who can make straight what he has made crooked? But in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversary, consider Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. I have seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp this and also not remove your hand from the other, for he who fears God will escape them all. Wisdom strengthens the wise, more than ten rulers of the city. For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Also do not take to heart everything people say lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that you, even you have cursed others. All this I have proved by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it out? I applied my heart to know, to search, and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even the foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart it snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. Here is what I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other, to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Truly, this only I have found, that God made man upright, 
but they have sought out many schemes. Amen. And we thank God for this reading from his truth. Let us come before God and ask for his help to understand it. Let's pray. Our gracious God, once again, we need the help of your Holy Spirit. This is not an easy or straightforward passage of Scripture. There are many complexities and difficulties here. We pray that you would help us to straighten out what is meant so that we may take it to heart and believe it today and that we may put it into action in our lives in the weeks that lie ahead. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, we in this part of the world, in Northern Ireland, certainly, we love we sayings. And we love those we sayings, especially if they carry some kind of wisdom or seem to carry some kind of wisdom. Some of the sayings we hear can seem wise on the surface, but when you actually dig down and think about it, there isn't that much wisdom at all. One view that seems wise to many people in Northern Ireland, at least in what I've seen, is a view called fatalism. Fatalism is the belief that everything happens according to fate. It's the view that Doris Day sang about in her song, Que sera, sera, you know the words, you don't have to sing along with me. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see, Que sera, sera. I remember being at a wedding of a friend of ours. And the bride and groom had been childhood sweethearts, but as they grew older, they found themselves in relationships. One of them was dating while the other one was single and that kind of thing. And so they never got together. But eventually, after many years, they ended up together. And now we were at their wedding. And much was made of the fact that they were always meant for each other. These aren't Christian people. I don't expect them to have a Christian worldview. But they basically, they and their families, thought that fate had brought them together. The bride's sister made a speech. And she used this one line that has stuck in my head ever since. You've maybe heard this before. She said, I'm a great believer in this. If it's for you, it won't pass you by. If it's for you, it won't pass you by. And her point was well made. She was basically saying, these two people, this bride and groom are meant for each other. And so even though it's taken a long time for them to realise, it hadn't passed them by. They're now married. And it sounds quite a romantic notion. But it's nonsense. Putting your hope in the fact that maybe, just maybe, due to chance, that things will work out okay in the end. And what if what is meant for you is not a good thing? What if what is meant for you is pain and misery and suffering? Will that pass you by or will it not? Talk to a child who's been orphaned recently in Turkey or Syria. What hope does fatalism offer them? Tell the childless couple, it wasn't for you, and so it passed you by. What kind of way is that to view the world? 
the Bible presents us with a radically different worldview. And we as Christians in Northern Ireland need to be able to separate those things out and and know the difference between a biblical worldview and fatalism. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 lays out the worldview that the Christian should have. A biblical worldview. It's based upon wisdom. (coughs) Being wise. In his sermons on Ecclesiastes, the American preacher Matt Chandler talks about chapter 7 as sitting down for a cup of coffee with grandpa. Here's a man who has lived life and he's calling us in and he's putting the kettle on and he's saying, I've got a few things I need to share with you. A few things that I've learned along the way. Those of us who have been blessed to know our grandfathers, we know how wonderful it is to share in their wisdom, to speak to them about the things they've been through in their lives. Some of you maybe never knew your grandfather and there's a sadness that comes with not being able to share in their wisdom. And others of you are grandfathers and you know the joy of having your grandchildren around as you work in the yard or you work with machinery and you share with them some of those tips and tricks that you've learned, the skills that you've gained through your life. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is coffee with granda. Let's turn it up and see what wisdom he has to share. This actually could describe the whole book, couldn't it? This book is the story of a man trying to tell us where he's found the good life. He's, he's looking everywhere for it. He's looking for meaning and satisfaction and joy. Last week he looked at money and this week we turned to think about wisdom. And we're going to see something similar to money. Will wisdom be the answer to our problems? Well, let's see. On the face of it, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 just seems like one wee saying after another. It's wisdom presented in Proverbs, and we just love wee sayings. But in this passage, what we actually learn is that while wisdom is a good thing, and wisdom has many benefits, it also has limitations. One Scottish Puritan minister called Thomas Boston wrote a book called The Crook in the Lot. The Crook in the Lot. It was based on a reflection of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 13. Do you see verse 13? Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? And in this book, it was based on a sermon, Boston considers the the unforeseen troubles that affect us in life. Things that happen which we know are under God's providence, as all things are, but they really trouble our souls. We wonder, why is this happening? Why has God allowed this to happen to me? And so what we actually learn from chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes is that all of the wisdom in the world, just like all of the money in the world, cannot keep us from the problems of the world. There are still crooks in our lot. And no matter how much we know, no matter how many degrees we have, no matter how many books are on our shelves or 
how much of those books we've actually read. No matter how many little sayings we know, and we can pull them out at a time of crisis, none of that will keep us from crisis. So let me ask you the question today. What's the crook in your lot? What are the problems that keep rearing their heads for you? What are the troubles and afflictions that leave you asking the question, why? Why is God doing this? Why would you let this happen? What things are crooked and you would like them straightened out? Today I want to look at both of these two things. I want to enter into the text and ask what is the benefit of wisdom? Verse 12 says, the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. So there are benefits. But wisdom also has its limitations. We have to reckon that no matter how wise we are, wisdom will not keep us from suffering and from death. Please do have your Bibles open as we dig in. The benefits of wisdom. The first thing we need to realise is that some things are better than others. If you look back up to the end of chapter 6 and verse 12, you can see the preacher asks this question. Who can tell, who knows what is good for man in life? And that word he uses there, good, that's the same word that's repeated throughout chapter 7 as better. In English, that doesn't seem so obvious to us. that We use the word better, but really what we mean when we say better is that something is gooder. It's more good. And so it's the same root word. And the preacher is going to tell us that what is good for us, there's all, while there are things that are good for us, there are also things that are better. And the first one, chapter 7, verse 1, makes sense to us. A good name is better than precious ointment. I think we know what he means. There's no point in smelling nice if everyone turns up their nose when your name is mentioned. There's nothing wrong with smelling nice. In fact, smelling nice is a good thing. But it's better to have a good name. A good name, a good reputation is better than fine perfume or fine ointment. We should know that substance is better than shine. It's wise to know this. I think we do know that. I think we understand that one. But the rest of these better thans in chapter 7 are a bit more difficult to take. The day of death is better than the day of birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Sorrow is better than laughter. He concludes this little section by making the point that it's better to listen to a wise rebuke than to the song of fools. So what's he on about? What's happening here? How is the day of death better than the day of birth? Well, here's what he's saying. The preacher wants us to know that death is a better teacher than birth. Being sad is a better learning experience than being happy. And those among us, most of us know what it's like to lose a loved one. And we know what it's like 
when someone dies, it makes us question our life. It makes us wonder, what kind of things are people going to say about me at my funeral? It makes me wonder, how am I living? And so it connects with the first proverb, a good name is better than perfume. Because what we're learning here is that someday all of us will die and and the preacher wants us to take that to heart and think, how will I be remembered? The wise thing to do is to know that it's better to think about these things. It's better to actually consider them in a sober and somber way than, than just to laugh and to party and to sing and to ignore it. He's not saying that laughter and parties are wrong. They are good things. But he's saying there's something better. It's better to know that one day we will die than to bury our heads in the sands. Death is coming. And knowing that that day is coming can actually help us live our lives in a more fulfilling way. The preacher says it's wise. We need to be prepared to face difficulty. Hard times are coming. Of course, friends, you know as well as I do that there was one person who faced the hardest of times. One man who knew what was really good for man. Listen to what Isaiah says about the promised Messiah. And see if you can figure out how it connects with the preacher in Ecclesiastes 7. Isaiah chapter 53. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Do you notice how Jesus doesn't have any shine? A man of suffering, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering and pain. This sounds like the wise person who knows what is better. Notice why Jesus did these things. Notice why Jesus suffered. Notice why he took on pain, because it was our pain. It was our suffering. Jesus became these things for us, because we're not wise. Because we do chase after foolish parties and laughter. Jesus is the wisdom of God, and he has taken our foolishness, so that we could be made wise in the eyes of God. Folks, I wonder how often we run after the things that the preacher in Ecclesiastes says are inferior. Or think back through the last number of chapters, the things that he says are meaningless. Well, Jesus came because we run after those things. Listen to the next part of Isaiah's passage. He was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God, died for us. The godly for the ungodly. So how can we know wisdom? Well, we know wisdom by knowing Jesus. In Jesus, we can truly live forever. And that's a worldview to live by. But the wisdom of this passage in Ecclesiastes also has its limitations. Because here in Ecclesiastes, the the preacher still has his eyes under the sun. He's not yet looked to Jesus. And so wisdom helps us, but it doesn't give us all of the answers. For some things, we might need to turn to God in faith. And for some things, we're going to have to be satisfied that we won't get an answer. With wisdom, as with money, there still remain problems in life. There's still a crook in the lot. We are all beset with suffering and death in our lives. We still live in a world that is a mess. And so wisdom has its limitations. It doesn't fix everything. Look again at what the preacher says in verse 13. Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? What is crooked cannot be straightened. We cannot straighten it out. Sometimes we face struggles in life that we can't fix. But now the preacher is recognising God's place. It's God who made them crooked. That's why we can't straighten them. Only God can straighten them. And this is where the whole passage really, the whole book has been headed towards. Who knows what is good for us? Who knows what is good for a man where, where meaning and satisfaction and joy can be found? Well, God does. God knows. I don't know. You might not know, but God knows. God is where we find meaning and satisfaction and joy. And so look at what verse 14 says. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. Be pleased whenever things are going well, but in the day of adversary, consider, surely God has appointed the one as well as the other. It's really wise to know that God is in control. He's in control of the good times and of the bad times. That is a biblical worldview. And it far outweighs fatalism. God is in control. He knows what is good for us. This is known as the doctrine of providence. And it's wise to know that God is in control. And so maybe you're going through something difficult right now. I don't know. But I do know that God is in control of it. I do know that The most evil, the most unfair, the most unjust event in all of history was when an innocent man was hung upon a Roman cross and a murderer went free. 
A man who had never sinned, dying the death of a criminal at the hands of wicked and evil men. That is the greatest example of suffering in all of human history. And I know that God was in control of that. And I know that God used it for good. It's so much better than fatalism. It's so much better than just thinking, oh, do you know what? These things happen, so what? No, these things come from the hand of God. And because of the death of Jesus, we know that even the worst suffering that we might face, and I don't want to minimize anything that you're going through, but it's not pointless. (coughs) It's not pointless. God is in control and he knows what is good for us. Romans 8, Paul says, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. All things, even suffering. You might be saying, Jamie, you don't know what I'm going through. You have no idea, you don't understand, and I don't. And I might never. But Jesus does. He went through the greatest suffering ever in the history of the universe, and he did so for our good. In Jesus, God works all things for good. This is wisdom, to know this. It's wise to know that wisdom has its limitations. Friends, we will one day die. But we were not made for this world. We were made for something else. We were made for a relationship with God. And in that relationship with him, we know that he is in control. Not chance. Not fate. God is in control. And because he is in control, we can face difficulty. We can be pleased when things go well. We can know that our future is safe and secure. But we can also, in adversary, know that God is with us. Know that we will pass through death. Know that we will enter into an eternal relationship with Jesus forever and ever. Let me pray for us.